0: You know, I grew up in a small town in Canada. My parents were immigrants from India and, you know, I've started several businesses. Most of them have failed. Some of them have done well. But access to capital was one of my biggest, biggest challenges because I didn't have a rich uncle and I didn't have family that could write me that first check or give me the confidence that or the network that most people
1: have. Today we're talking to the Chief Growth Officer of Clearco rumor Bose. And we're addressing the fact that so much money, so much funding, goes unfortunately, as we're all too aware, to a very privileged few group of people, dependent on their socio-economic background or where they're based. So we're looking at how Clearco are trying to readdress that balance and create a fairer ecosystem for founders, no matter their background. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, bringing you interviews from leaders across the industry and a little bit of technology news. On today's show, I am joined by Amber. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm good. How are you?
1: Not too bad. Did you have a nice weekend?
2: I did. I watched well. I mean, how could you not when the football was on and we won? Like, it was just, you could have had the worst weekend ever, but that just, that would have saved things,
1: right? It was very odd. I mean, it was a bit like the Sweden quarterfinal three years ago in the World Cup when it was all like, oh God, it's England. and Oh, actually, this is quite easy. Um, it I'm sure that Wednesday won't be quite the same.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Although it's really weird because I think it's going to be a much tougher game. But then some people that I've spoken to are like, yeah, it's going to be a walk in the park. I'm like, oh no, I don't think it is.
1: Oh, So the people that said it's going to be a walk in a park have probably ignored the fact that in the, inside the last year, I think maybe 18 months, we've played Denmark twice. And they've beaten us and we've drawn with them.
2: Yeah, I mean the odds are not in our favour then, are they, really? <laughs>
1: no, I, I actually think that's probably quite a helpful thing because I think it's it's good to have had those experiences and, and whatnot. But if anyone who's like um thinking that this might be an easy match
2: Think again. Yeah.
1: They beat us and we drew with them last two meetings. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenging match. But I still feel that England will probably win 2 0.
2: Do you? Oh, okay. I keep Having say, said that. I keep saying 2-1, but I mean, obviously we haven't conceded any goals just yet, have we? So mm. hopefully we can keep a clean sheet, but we will see. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's getting Fingers down to like, the, the good sort of bit now, isn't it? Because I feel like in the first few rounds of the Euros, it's always a bit slow and takes a bit to sort of take off. And now people are fully believing that it's coming home, aren't they? Like.
1: Yeah, which is the hope, yeah, I the hope that kills
2: you. <laughs> I know. Every time I say it, I'm like, touch wood, touch wood. Like I'd have to just keep making sure that I'm not jinxing us. But um we will see. I we'll- think
1: I think they'll get to the final. I'm not I'm not making any rash prediction beyond yeah. that because Italy looked bloody good.
2: Yeah, I know. Same. I think it would def I'd like to think it would be us in Italy in the final, but same as you. I'm just um I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it, but we'll we'll just yeah, we'll leave it there and we'll say that for now. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Right. Anyway, away from sport and football and onto technology, because today's interview is with Clearco. We'll hand over to the interview. We'll come back with some commentary afterwards. So on today's show, I'm talking to Ruma. Uh, Rumor, you work at Clearco. Um, if anyone hasn't for, uh, heard of Clearco, they may, may have heard of Clearbank, which is the organization's former name. But very quickly, before we get into anything else, what do you do for the business?
0: Well, thanks very much David. I'm so pleased to be here today. Um essentially, I am the Chief Growth Officer at um at Clearco and my 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 biggest um goal is to help the company grow internationally. And so I was brought in uh earlier this year and given a very ambitious mandate to go dominate the world. And so uh, we have ambitious plans. We are looking to scale across Europe and in certain countries in Asia this year and then, you know, on to another 10, 15 countries next year. So we're really excited and uh, excited to be here with you today.
1: It's interesting that you say that you're going to dominate the world. Uh, you, you you launched in the UK in October. So mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm sitting just outside of London. Let's focus yep. on, on the UK first of all. Uh, if you're going to come in and 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 have a real impact on on this market, and you joined mid pandemic or got into this particular market mid pandemic, yes. what what are the key trends and themes that you're picking up upon that allow you to make an impact?
0: Well, we are very excited about the UK market. We launched um, back in the fall in October. Uh, we did a beta test uh, over the summer and deployed about 30 million pounds and officially launched in October. And by the time uh, December came about, we had deployed about 70 million pounds into 250 companies. And some of the interesting trends that we saw in the UK from our perspective is that Seventy percent of the companies we funded were outside of the London area, which was really um, in line with how we've been funding elsewhere uh, in Canada and the United States, um, because we really are. We're by founders for founders. And if you look at the characteristics of an entrepreneur, irrespective of where they live, it's always the same. It's always, you know, we believe in the mantra that talent and ambition exists everywhere, but opportunity does not. And so what we want to do is really bring the opportunity to entrepreneurs, irrespective of of where they reside, whether it's London, Scotland, you know, Northern Ireland, Wales. Uh, we just we want to help entrepreneurs grow. We want to help entrepreneurs retain more control of their companies. We want to offer them equity free capital and we want to give them the business insights that they need to really take their businesses to the next level. So, you know, we are there is a huge ecosystem and community. We are really excited to be a part of it.
1: So look, you've you've invested £2 billion into over four and a half thousand e-commerce and software companies using data science to identify um which, which organizations, which opportunities uh you feel are kind of high growth and 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 so on. Um and what you're saying there very much sounds like the type of thing that I'd expect a, a VC to, to be saying. Um, so how how are you different from traditional VCs? That money that you've invested, that that two billion in four and a half thousand. Why do you think that's different to say what's what's already been seen from the VC market?
0: So that's a really great question. I mean, to start with, we provide equity free capital to e commerce and SaaS companies, and we fund some of the world's you know fastest growing digital brands. And we invest anywhere from ten thousand to ten million pounds into these companies, and we take zero equity. So we let our founders keep hundred percent ownership of their businesses. As you and I very well know, uh, VCs do not do that. Secondly, if you look at the statistics today uh, in the UK, you know less than three percent of VC dollars are deployed towards women-led businesses. Um, And that statistic is equally bad everywhere in the world. Um, And what we do, we have an AI platform that is really focused on the data and we fund companies based on the performance of their business. As a result, we end up funding eight X more women. We fund more minorities. We fund entrepreneurs who live in areas where they don't have access to venture capitalists. And so, you know, it really is about the opportunity, you know, to get We're we're, we're trying to democratize access to capital, And it's about the opportunity to find us online and be able to access this money without any personal guarantees, without any securitization, and let us help you help your business.
1: It's kind of interesting listening to your talk there, because you started by saying that what makes a successful entrepreneur doesn't really change. And yet you then kind of go on to say, but looking at the data... We're investing in a whole bunch of people that seem to have been missed traditionally. Which kind of—I'm not I mean, saying that they can't be mutually exclusive, but there they, obviously is a subtle difference in terms of looking at the data and who you've ended up then backing and 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 putting putting uh, your belief into. So
0: maybe I didn't communicate that effectively. The characteristics of an entrepreneur, an individual who has an idea they want to bring into the world and and share it and and grow their business, um, that exists everywhere. That ambition exists everywhere, be it the UK, the Netherlands, China, India, etc. But the opportunity for those entrepreneurs to have access to capital is not same everywhere they go. And so Mm -hmm. if you live in Silicon Valley, if you live in London, if you live in areas where... um, where you know VCs that you can approach and you can get equity funding from them then you're one of you know the the lucky ones but very it's a very small percentage of entrepreneurs who receive VC funding relative to the number of entrepreneurs who actually start businesses and what we're saying is we not only, and we're not saying that VC dollars are bad <clears throat> There is a place for venture capital and we fund many businesses that do receive venture capital. Our whole goal is to ensure that entrepreneurs own more of their business because we do not take an equity stake in their business. And we really fund based on the performance of their companies. And we want to give them the tools and resources they need to grow their companies effectively.
1: So you, you mentioned that you'd, Focused on areas outside of London, Uh, and the traditional view prior to the pandemic was: you want funding, you you know, and you're based in Scotland, you jump on a train, you come down to London. And you said that that had been replicated in other countries like Canada and so on. Um, Where do you think that'll take you geographically? You you said that you're looking to to kind of dominate the market, lots of different countries, lots of expansion. But you know, what what are the pockets where you kind of get quite excited that that maybe aren't on the traditional heat map of places where where money and technology tends to go?
0: I mean, look, we are not, I, I want to start by saying we're not exclusively focused on companies who reside outside of urban areas, but we are excited by the fact that companies anywhere will have access to us. And mm. so I am very excited at the idea that a company based in Wales or a company based in, you know, Four hours outside of London has the opportunity to meet us and find us online, and be able to get money they otherwise may not be able to receive, based on where they reside. That that is, and 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 also be part of an ecosystem that they may not have the ability to be a part of if it were not uh, if if it were not possible for them to meet us.
1: So how are you creating more diversity within tech and investment? I know you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but it would just be interesting to go into a little bit more detail. How do you think that this is driving that diversity?
0: Essentially, globally, less than 2% of VC dollars go towards women-led businesses. If you take those statistics one step further, you know there are lots of studies that show how female-led businesses outperform male-led businesses that VCs tend to fund You know, 70, 80, 90 percent of VC portfolio companies are typically led by men. Even when a woman has the ability uh, and the opportunity to pitch to a VC, the percentage of those female founders who actually get funded is very low compared to the to the to their male counterparts. If you look at that, you know, you can deduce your own conclusions as to why, Um, but if you look at our platform and the way we fund our businesses you essentially connect all your accounts on our platform so we can see in real time you know what the performance of your business is and within 24 to 48 hours we can offer you a term sheet And, you know, you're off to the races if you wish to accept our capital. And there's no pitching involved because it truly is based on the data of your company. How well are your digital ads doing? How are your sales? How are you connect all of your information? And then in addition to that, once you do receive our capital, we're able to share with you A lot of the data insights that you may not get as, you know, if you're a relatively small business, for example, we might, we'll be able to tell you that your click-through rates are very high, but your conversion rates are very low. So we can coach you through that process and say, you may want to start focusing on this area of your business. These sorts of tools and resources are generally not available, you know, to entrepreneurs who are, uh... E- e-commerce entrepreneurs who are not VC funded.
1: So one thing that I suppose is, is, is quite interesting in this dynamic to 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 explore is how you find these these people because you know I'm, you know on your website it's got a number of case studies and and they very much back up what you're saying. There's there's one from someone called Mastin Kip who talks about the fact that you val- they value. Um, your your funding based on data not on gender or privilege bias um and that you fund more women and, and minorities than anyone else which is which is a fantastic thing to hear from from your community from your customers but how are you finding these people if they're not in the traditional i suppose if they're not if they're not traditionally where you might expect those founders to, to, to be there is that still that discoverability piece and and i i i can only imagine that it's based you know when you're a founder and you're maybe going through an accelerator getting in getting onto your radar or them to find you is still is still a, a step that that you you have to negotiate right
0: that's a great question david i hope that all of your listeners can hear me today and get in touch with us but really it's it's where a lot of it is word of mouth and a lot of it is uh is, is advertising. And, and we just hope that everyone, you know, has the opportunity to know who we are. I'm really passionate about the impact piece. That was the main, that was one of the key reasons that drove me to join this company. I was a long time investor and advisor to the company. i have been following them since day one. I think the idea of disrupting this space, uh, was really important to me because I grew up in a very small town. Uh, You know, I grew up in a small town in Canada. My parents were immigrants from India. There were only 30,000 people that lived in that town. But I, you know, was one of those people from a very young age. I always wanted to start a business. And, you know, I've started several businesses. Most of them have failed. Some of them have done well. But access to capital was one of my biggest, biggest challenges Because I didn't have a rich uncle and I didn't have family that could write me that first check or give me the confidence that or the network that most people have. And I didn't go to fancy schools. And so this sort of product, had it existed when I first started, I think my life story would have been very different. Uh, And so I am particularly passionate about the idea that someone like me in 2021, you know, will have a different narrative to the to the future of of their entrepreneurial career.
1: I have to say as well, the fact that it's using data is is rather heartening. I mean, I know Theranos is is a story that everyone is very familiar with and is is quite a few years old, but I was I was watching an HBO documentary on the Theranos story um only a few weeks ago. And it was amazing just how many people invested in that business because a whole load of very influential people who knew nothing about it had lent it credibility, but without any basis of data. And uh, I suppose if the technology industry is going to, to build bridges and build trust, there has to be a sense that people actually know what they're doing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, David, I always say this whenever I give a talk. The two things that give me hope for the future Is technology and the next generation and technology is the great equalizer it is what binds us together it is what allows you to live anywhere in the world but still have access to the world and it's a complete game-changer and I believe this next generation and generations to come they care they care about these ideas these issues impact is embedded into their day to day lives, and they believe every company is responsible for you know for for being mission driven in the way that they can be. And for us, it really is about taking the bias away from deploying money and and for entrepreneurs to have access to capital. You know, you and I both know brilliant entrepreneurs who are immigrants who don't necessarily speak English. As fluently as, as somebody who grew up in London, um, they should not be uh, challenged because of where they come from, because of how they grew up, because of how they speak. They should be funded purely based on merit. And if your business is growing and you have a great idea and there is an opportunity, then you know I am. Uh, we at Clearco would be delighted to give you money and help you grow.
1: So look, if, if someone is interested uh, in, in in finding out more, what's the best way? I assume it's a website, but maybe not. Let, let's just find out from you. Well, they can go to our,
0: our website, which is clearco.co, uh, or they can send me an email and I will direct them to the right person. But we would love to hear from every entrepreneur who has a dream of growing their business. And we would love to be a part of that story. You know, we can tell you that the brands that we have funded so far in the UK have grown five to 10x as a result of getting our funding. And some of these brands you would have heard of Druids Golf, Temperly London, Sophia. Sophia grew seven x working with Clearco. And we help D2C brands focus on what is important and what they need to do to grow their business and we lend you know anywhere from 10,000 uh pounds to 10 million pounds in a, in a very short period of time and we are here to serve entrepreneurs you know most of the employees at clearco are entrepreneurs themselves we have that mindset we understand how entrepreneurs think and we want to start a movement let's be part of this global ecosystem and let's build great companies cuz David, in a, in a post-COVID economy, these are the entrepreneurs that are going to recover quickest. These are the entrepreneurs that are creating jobs. And these are the entrepreneurs that are going to bring us back. Hmm. And I think that we are super excited to start funding them.
1: Well, look, Rumor, it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you for your time. And, Thank you so uh, much, David. And fingers crossed, we do see that recovery through the entrepreneurs that you're backing.
0: Absolutely. And if you ever have a business idea, please give us a call. <laughs> We'd be happy to, to work with you.
1: I think one of the, the the great things about this is that it is about democratizing funding, whether it's geography or society kind of background. The idea that if you'd lived places and you happen to know VCs like Silicon Valley and London and you had those contacts, you were in such a favorable position, and um, as rumor says, small number of of you know a, a small number relative to the number of entrepreneurs start business were able to access VC funding, and that skewed everything.
2: Yeah, because I I see what you're saying because she obviously says that. Well, yeah, like there's there's places that you could live, or I just like the point that she said around like they're basically just trying to be super, super inclusive, aren't they? And just like, it's, if you've got a great idea, if you're an entrepreneur, you've got like a vision and you've built a business, like they are willing to to invest. I mean, obviously it's not as easy as that. Um, but the fact that they're trying to sort of like get rid of all these barriers and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, they are trying to make it sort of as easy as they possibly can. And, and obviously making sure that you can sort of build your business, whatever that may be. And I, th- I, like, I think that for her and like her as a person I really enjoyed this interview because she I mean I don't have a business obviously but if I did she'd be the sort of person that I would want in that sort of that position like as a as a like a leader of growth or um was her chief growth officer because she had like just bundles of like passion didn't she I just felt like she she was just so energetic and just that's the sort of person that you'd want sort of steering the ship, isn't it? Because she just believes in, in sort of the mission and is so on board and and just backs it like
1: 100%. Look, obviously everyone that comes on the podcast to a certain extent is selling their company, is selling whatever that, that business does. Mm-hmm. They want to put it in the best possible light. But there is a real authenticity to Ruma's story because Ruma herself, you're right, that passion comes through because she was an investor and an advisor. You know, yeah. if if she if she was investing and advising that business before she became part of the company, then you go well. She clearly believes in it. She clearly believes in it, mm. regardless of whether or not she's the chief growth officer or not, because she she cared about it before she had a formal arrangement with them.
2: Yeah, no, that's so true. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, she obviously just just yeah just loves what she does. And like you say, she's now becoming obviously joined the company as a as like a growth officer. Um, yeah, I mean, why would you not? See, if you sort of like back it that much and want to get involved and stuff, then then absolutely, it makes complete sense. Like, what better person to have in that position? But um, I think as well, like the, the stuff that she said about starting a business and not having like a, a rich uncle to invest. And in, I thought that was really nice as well, because so many people that you see that start businesses, like they do have a backing, whether it be from like a family member or, well, more often than not, it's a family member. So I think when she kind of said like, you know, we want to aim or sort of like sort of sell our business towards people that don't have that. I think, again, that's really nice to sort of be inclusive and just, you know, try to get everyone sort of involved and start to grow these businesses. Because, I mean, a lot of big businesses that you've had on the podcast have obviously had to start somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, the fact that she talks about being first generation Canadian uh, and the, the biggest challenge to her was access to capital and as you said she mentioned specifically no rich uncle no fancy schools and it's tricky isn't it because if we've got people that we know that can help us then we're going to use them mm-hmm. so you can't really be kind of you can't be churlish about the fact that if someone happens to have a rich uncle well great because if you had a rich uncle you'd use your rich uncle yeah but no, there is there is that bias of privilege, and like that Theranos example that I use, like the way that that um, that the CEO of Theranos was able to use a network of individuals uh, by giving like internships to grandsons of mm. you know former secretaries of state and so on, and and that soft power network that that it gave the business. Mm. That was totally illegitimate and it wasn't based on anything, and it turned out to be a horrible lie um, but this sheen of legitimacy because of the people involved it's it's not fair, and where where that you know that that is that is a perfect example of where this bias of privilege goes horribly wrong, and here comes a business that goes. No, we're going to we're going to have a look at your data. We're going to think about how your digital ads are doing. We're going to have a look at tools that help understand your click-throughs versus your conversion rates. And and that's what the market needs.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think you're right. Just been going back to your your first point around, you know, if you had a rich uncle like yes, obviously you'd you'd use that, right? Like everybody, I think anybody would be lying if they were saying that that weren't the case. Like everyone would like, would 100% sort of take full advantage of that. But you're right. I think they look into things that are, you know, obviously you know the data and like you said, things like that and, and trends and digital ads, like all of that stuff that actually, you know, it, it, I think she used a really important word. Like she said a lot of things, obviously around the investment and a lot around like the network. But she said, you know, we give companies confidence, and I think that's an really important thing because if you had a business, sometimes all you need is someone to like fully believe and. Trust in what you you're doing, and, and sort of give you the advice, and and like you say having that network around you. And I think when she said confidence, I was like, oh, that's yeah, that's such a a good point because sometimes you do just need someone to sort of like yeah, just just sort of be on board with what you're doing, and then you get that confidence in yourself, and it's kind of mind of a matter sometimes, isn't it? It's just about having that mindset and knowing that yeah, actually, you know, someone believes in this, and we can start to take this somewhere, and this can grow, and this can just get bigger and bigger.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well look I Ruma, I think you've been a fantastic guest. Hopefully, Clearco does go on to dominate that market in the way that they hope because if they're if they're making sure that the you know the the, the amount of money extends beyond two percent that goes to female founders and all of the the inequalities that were mentioned in that interview it's only a good thing um We will now switch focus to well an advert break, but then after after the advert break uh we will switch focus to a piece of news about someone who is uber privileged. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe could be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Okay, right. I'm going to try not to go on a rant here, but there's an article asking what, what's going to happen next to Jeff Bezos. Unless anyone is, is unaware, Bezos is relinquishing control of Amazon. I mean, he's not really. He's still going to be executive chairman, but he's not going to be CEO anymore, and he wants to put his time into other projects, right? Right. One of those projects is Blue Origin. Um, It's basically been an ambition of Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, rather, since he was at high school to build... And this is, this is a direct quote from 18-year-old Jeff Bezos that he told a newspaper that he wanted to build space hotels, amusement parks, and colonies for two or three million people who would be in orbit. Uh, he went on to tell the paper, the whole idea is to preserve the Earth. The goal was to be able to evacuate humans and the planet would become a park.
0: Right. And you got to go, that's
1: quite high-minded <laughs> and whatever. It's like what an yeah. 18-year-old said. But he seems to be kind of carrying on in that vein, even though he's now 57 with Blue Origin. And it's just... There's a, there's a science fiction film out there, right, called uh, Elysium. It's terrible. It stars Matt Damon. And in it, Earth has become this bit of a cesspit and all the rich people live in space and it's super swanky and high-tech. I could kind of see the reverse happening where... Earth gets evacuated and only the uber rich can visit this wonderful haven that we've vacated. And it's like a five-star Bora Bora (laughs) hotel that whilst the rest of us are in like Amazon-owned space stations and have to do exactly what we're bloody well told because we can't afford to go and visit the nice free Earth down below. I was just reading this thinking, this is not the way to look at rescuing the Earth. The way to think about it is not to build things and evacuate, but to actually tackle the problems that we're creating.
2: Oh God, a lot of that just blew my mind a little bit because I feel like that sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like and um, also it sounds like definitely sounds like a Matt Damon film. Um
1: Oh Elysium, it, yeah, Elysium's it, terrible. Yeah, terrible. I mean
2: he I feel like he just kind of signs him up, signs himself up to a lot of terrible films, but that's a whole different point altogether. But <laughs> that's um I hope he's not listening. Um but yeah, that's um I don't even know what to say on that, to be honest. It all sounds a bit bonkers, doesn't it? It's The
1: man's man's got a personal wealth of like $199 billion. He's one of the, well, he's the richest man in the world. He's one of the richest five people in the world. He's the only one of the richest five people in the world who's not signed up to Bill Gates' pledge to give away half of his uh, fortune to uh, charitable good causes. Mm -hmm. The only one. Now, obviously, we probably shouldn't um, chastise someone for, you know, because who's to say that if we had that much money, that we'd give half of it away? But he's got that much that oh, like he gave he gave away two billion two billion dollars, and it was one percent of his wealth.
2: If you had that much money, regardless of what type of person you are, like good, bad, horrid, like you, you, I'm sorry, but you have enough money to give some away, don't you? Like it's like whenever somebody, I do this a lot as well. Actually, I always ask people like, what would you buy, or what would you do if you won the lottery? And if I had won, like a like a substantial amount of money like there would 100% be a big percentage of that going to charity or going to help someone so in his position with the amount of money that he has I mean come on it can absolutely give some away but I tell you what this is a bit of a kind of unrelated point but on um, on Amazon as a whole did you see the news the other day I think it was like ITV or no I'm sure it was ITV they did um like a inside sort of footage of one of the amazon factories and they got loads of footage of the amount of wastage that they have did you see that oh okay so they're targeted every week to get one hundred and thirty thousand items of wastage from each of their factories like
1: what why
2: i don't know just that's that's a target of theirs so they're literally like someone had like an inside like they were going around filming stuff and um yeah look it up online but basically there was just like uh, laptops there was mobile phones like I don't know razors like all these electrical goods that were absolutely fine and they just got chucked straight in the bin and then went off and and um were scrapped or or dumped basically
1: our, so, our message to Jeff who's definitely listening is instead of <laughs> instead of building space hotels tackle the inefficiencies of your own bloody organization
2: yeah and then don't do the space hotels it's just it's one of those things, like you said, if he was 18, I think even 18 is maybe a bit too old, but if he was young and you had this big, like, wonderful vision and you're like, oh, this is a really cool idea, like, I'm going to build all of this in space, like, fair enough. I mean, you're young, but when you're, like, like you said, 57 years old and you still fully believe in this and sort of, like, plan it wow.
1: out. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether he fully believes in it, but his well, yeah. origin seems to be kind of all about getting him into space rather than anything else. It's like you could do a lot better with your money, but hey ho
2: but yeah check out this this thing online of their wastage
1: mm, have a, look, have at a it. look at that yeah not have good a look. not good at all well look on on more grounded earthly matters uh let's let's hope that england do well on wednesday sorry to anyone else who's listening who's not english but you know biased here there there is some bias here we're both english this is a podcast brought to you by some english people so <laughs> we obviously want them to do well uh but we'll be back on friday